Well, hello there, good evening, and welcome. My name is Randolph J, and you're tuned in to Mondo Rando Radio and the best of what's out there on MidtownRadio.ca. The premise of this show is a simple one. Each week, we'll be hosting intimate and interactive chats with familiar friends and fascinating strangers about their passions. Could be anything. Could be model railroading, pelicans, ultimate fighting, or anything else that gets them excited. Our guests will be sharing their fondness for the various subjects that have helped shape who they are, and occasionally, they may even share their strategies for dealing with everything else. It's a relatively new show, and your feedback is more than welcome. You can find us on Facebook under Mondo Rando, on Instagram at Mondo Rando Radio, and you can email us anytime at MondoRandoRadio at gmail.com. Our special guest today is registered massage therapist, comedian, martial artist, and thrill seeker Ken Roche. Among other things, Ken was a member of the Ontario Disabled Alpine Racing Team between 2000 and 2010, and so today we'll be talking about all things skiing. Before we begin, please remember that Ken's experience is unique, and the opinions expressed are entirely his own. Consider this a warning not to attempt any of the stunts mentioned. Your safety and the safety of those around you on the slopes and elsewhere is now and will always be your responsibility. And now please enjoy my conversation with the great Ken Roach. So Ken, how are you? I'm doing really well, Randy. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh, hey. I really appreciate it. And it's really nice to hear your voice again. It's been too long. It has been quite a while. Uh, Ken uh, and I have known each other for, I guess, maybe, what, 10 years or so? Yeah, yeah take. Right. Uh, we met uh, at a, I think you were performing at Yuck Yucks when we first met. As were you. One of the many, one of the many hats Ken wears. And uh, so Kat, we're going to talk a bit today about skiing. And with Ken, we had a, a huge number of possibilities as far as topics go. So this may not be Ken's only appearance because Ken, he's into, he's into martial arts. He's into, he's into comedy. As you mentioned, he is a registered massage therapist. He does all kinds of things, but of the things that you do and of the things that I know very little, I, I know nothing about martial arts and I know nothing. About, I know nothing about skiing, Ken. So I thought maybe you could walk us through the skiing and explain what got you into skiing and why you love it. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't even know where to start because uh, I don't know if your your, re- your listeners would understand that I'm totally blind at this point, but I've had a long progression of losing my sight and I wasn't functionally completely blind until I was about 37. So I got into skiing when I was about 26. Uh, as a massage therapy student, a bunch of us wanted to go out and, and go skiing. And of course, I was quite nervous to do so, but I had some people that were willing to kind of guide me. At that time, I had peripheral vision. I really didn't see straight ahead. When I started losing my sight, I had a lot of double vision. Mm-hmm. And I could look at things and literally make them disappear. And uh, so I could only see out the sides. And I went skiing uh, Blue Mountain one of the first times. Um, I guess my very first time was Milton, getting ready for that. On the side of the 401 is the hill of Milton. And uh, the girlfriend I had at the time, she was very generous and bought me a ski lesson. Now, I didn't realize that was the case. And I thought that because I was visually impaired, the ski hill thought it would be better for their liability if they sent me out with an instructor. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend uh, had locked her skis in the car, so it just seemed all very coincidental. And he took me down the ski hill, uh, down the bunny hill, and, and as, as you do, it's in a snowplow, and you put one hand on each knee, and your, your, your skis are pointing towards each other, so it's a very controlled descent and a very gradual hill. 
And then you stand up, you put both hands on one knee. So now you have all your weight on one ski picking a direction. Then you stand up, taking the weight off of both, and then put it back onto the opposite. So it allows you to do kind of an S down. It was nice and slow and gentle. And it was, it was, it was uh, without incident. Then we get to the bottom and he goes, well, how was that? I'm like, that was awesome. Now you got to teach me how to ski because <laughs> I had water skied and I'm kind of familiar with the idea of being like on edge and carving and you see everybody else doing it. So from there, uh, I progressed pretty quickly because I, I had I, I grew up uh, here in Preston, Cambridge, right by the arena. I played a lot of street hockey, a lot of ice hockey. So I'm kind of familiar with, uh, you know, being on on blades. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was more of a hockey stopper and I was like slamming left brakes and right brakes and, you know, skidding down the hill. Um, but my first time being guided, it was when I was in massage therapy college and a bunch of us took off a couple of days and went to Blue Mountain. And uh, a friend of mine who was a great snowboarder he said, well, if you just follow me and just listen, then I'll take you for a nice ride. And it was, again, a very gentle hill, but it was a much bigger hill and we were going fast and it was night skiing. Um, but it comes with a lot of trust. And I uh, just, oh, you know, he's like, oh, so. this way, this way. OK, we're going to go this way. So, I mean, uh, it was it was fantastic. It was an amazing experience. Uh, I can't say it was quite independent because I was there with somebody else, but I was accomplishing something I certainly could not do on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, after massage therapy school, I came home and I was very fortunate to get into a program run out of Chicopee Ski Hill in Kitchener called Track 3. Uh, now I would never get into that program because it's it's sponsored by minor sports insurance. So you have to be under the age of 18. So when I was 28 and got into that program, I was very, uh, very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a learn to ski, uh, same thing with guiding by that time I had, well, I guess relatively similar vision. Um, so I'd been out there maybe for one season, maybe two seasons and, and really enjoying myself. And, and it's a great social program, you know, it's done very safely. Um, and I, I, I overheard a paraplegic, uh, gentleman later became a really good friend of mine talking about disabled racing. And I said, well, how do I get into disabled downhill ski racing? He goes, well, you talk to me. I'm like, okay, well, I'm talking to you. He goes, well, let me talk to the coach and uh, we'll see how, uh, you know, how this can work out. So the next week I, I seen him and we were at the top of the hill and he skied over and he said, uh, talk to the coach. And he said, you know, if I think that you can stay on your feet and you got potential, then as long as you uh, find your own guide, uh, find your own ride, pay for your own slide, <laughs> we'll uh, see you next week. So the next week we went up to, uh, um, uh, Beaver Valley. It's a beautiful private ski hill, uh, up close to Collingwood along the ridge there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the private clubs uh, were fantastic to the Ontario Disabled Alpine Racing Team and supporting our, our efforts by uh, hosting us a uh, weekend here and there throughout the seasons. So we skied uh, just a couple of warm-up runs that went really well. It was it was a, a guide of mine, Ted, that I knew through another friend who was kind enough to uh, to sign up to ski with me and uh you know unbeknownst to us it was going to be fairly challenging but he did five years with me and uh he did a great job as did every one of my guides so we got there and the, the first couple of runs were going really well on on some of the the gentler slopes and then they took me to the the race hill area and the first hill i went down there is called free fall and it's 500 feet, relatively the same steepness as a set of stairs, about 45 degrees. Ooh. It's about, yeah, it's about 100 feet wide and trees on both sides, you know, very densely bushed. And yeah. just rip the strip of, of snow that goes all the way down. So the coach went down about 
hundred feet. No, yeah, 60, 80 feet. And then he stopped. And then one of the paraplegics sit skiers. So they're basically uh, sitting in a giant skate. So yeah. they have a mono ski underneath them and they're strapped very tightly and they've got what they call outriggers. Is this sort uh, of like, a, is this sort of like a, like a sledge hockey kind of deal? Um, it's sort of like that, except for it's on one ski. It's on a regular a ski. ski. It's okay. on one ski. And then in on their arms, they've got the, the kind of like those crutches that go right up to the elbows. Yep. And then in their hands, they hold onto that. And at the end of that, it would be only be about three feet. There'd be a ski tip. Mm-hmm. So they go down. One of them goes down and stops right beside the coach. And the other one's, you know, S, S, S stops. There's about three or four of them. And then it was my guide's turn. And he took me down. It was turn and turn and turn and stop. And I would have stopped if I could already. <laughs> <laughs> well, the so thing, I, 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 I can just imagine if you're going down, if you know, I mean, the, the good news is you know there is a bottom to it. So eventually you're going to get to the bottom. The question is. What goes up must come you, down. So. Well, exactly. But if you're going to get to, if you're trying to, if you've got, if you've got 500 feet down, but you're only 100 feet between two trees. And trees don't make noise. So if you're visually impaired, you won't hear the tree coming. Right. So I hit my guide who hit the first paraplegic, who hit the second, who hit the third, knocked over the coach. So it might have been my first experience in disabled downhill ski racing, but I was bowling and I got a strike. Well, I was going to say, you don't, you don't have to do all of the disabling yourself. You don't have to disable people. <laughs> <laughs> so good, good on you. Actually, you know, you were talking about the trees not making a sound, and you're right. And later on, I started using a megaphone. Um, it's not as obvious as you would think, but I need a point of reference because I can't see it all. And later I was skiing as a completely blind uh, ski racer. So I had to black those goggles. So I want to know where my guide is. So I was mm. using a megaphone mm. and it uh, gives me a point of reference, plus the words and the terminology they were using, very specific terminologies that had uh, specific meanings to both me and the guide. So it's, it's developing a little bit of um a little bit of predictability in a highly unpredictable environment. Mm-hmm. But trees do absorb sound. They do reflect sound. So they are an entity that that you have some idea that there's things around you. So you're doing you're doing an echolocation as a bat might do. Yeah, but trying to stay away from yes, absolutely. I, I'm and because I was new at this, I, I spent 10 years doing it, five years visually impaired, progressively less and less vision, and five years totally blind. But uh, it, it's a very hard, slow learning curve, but you have to get it done fairly quickly because the, the, it's, it's very short season here in Ontario and you can extend it a little bit by going out west and such. But um, it's, it's, not, it's not easy to get really good. And the people that are at the Paralympic level are fantastic. I made the mistake um, when, I, when the, uh, my friend Jeff, the paraplegic, he told me, like, come on out and, and check this out. I was at the top of Chicopee. It was 140, 50 feet up. I remember looking over the hill and over the city and like, I'm going to be the best blind skier in the world. Like, <laughs> who stop me? Like, I, I was very capable of a lot of things. Um, I just finished massage therapy school and I, I graduated 96 and a half average. I'd done martial arts. I was very physically and certainly in my category of visually impaired people, I didn't know a lot of people that were doing a lot of high end things, but I was blown away the first time I, I started seeing real uh, Paralympic downhill ski races, visually impaired skiers. They're phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So it is a long story about how we progressed, but um, the megaphone was important. At first they were just yelling because um, I could see out the side. So I was able to turn my head and, and see the guide. My head was turned to the right. 
So when they were going to the left, I'd have much better visual. And then when they turn to the right, I kind of lose them. So it, right. It, so, and so is the guide the one making the noise? Because, I mean, noise is great, but if, it, if the noise is coming from more than one source, it's useless. So you need noise absolutely. coming from one spot. So is, is it the guide that's making these noises? The, the guide was making uh, typically just yelling uh, commands and such like right. that. Now, the, some of the safest things I did in disabled ski racing was the actual racing because then you've got the uh, international rules that are the fist rules that are applied. So you've got uh, catch fences. The gates are very specifically uh, set. Um, you know, they're measured in between. Uh, the, the courses are groomed out. You know, safety measures in, are definitely in place. And one of the safety measures when there's a visually impaired skier or totally blind ski race, there's absolutely no movement and no sound on the course made by anybody. Mm -hmm. So typically in ski racing, if you watch the Olympics and, and uh, such, they, they have the, the cowbells all the way down there. Ding, 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 yes. ding, ding. Yes. People, right? But that would, uh, that would totally distract a, a visually impaired skier and uh, lead to uh, some potentially dangerous situations. It's incredibly dangerous. And I've heard of visually impaired skiers getting distracted and skiing off the course and, and definitely hitting a cameraman. Um, it has happened to me. Uh, I was at uh, Sunshine Village, and uh, one of my last uh, races completely, uh, well, visually impaired. And my guide went right, and I seen some movement on the left, and I went left, and he yelled stop, and I stopped just before I hit a couple guys that were, um, like, they're, they're grooming out the, uh, they're, they're raking out the, uh, the, the, uh, the gate area. So, it, you know, it, it was, they were very lucky, because I could have hit them. Right. So what's, what's, our, what's our speeds are we talking about here? When you're, when I you're have no around? idea. I didn't have, <laughs> didn't have a smartwatch on at the time. But like able-bodied skiers, when they're going in a downhill, I only did two downhill races, but they're doing like 120 to 130 kilometers an hour. I might have been up to 60, 70. I don't know. Um, but it's as fast as you think you can go. And then sometimes the ground disappears and you're going fast. And sometimes you don't even feel the ground. And then when, when you're at the bottom of the hill – the, the gravity forces change because now the, the hill's going out and you are going down. And so your knees are coming up towards your chest at a, at a high rate of velocity. Right. Um, it takes a, you got to be fairly calm. You got to be very uh, somewhat comfortable being uncomfortable. I do a lot of swearing in my helmet. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it was terrifying at times. Well, basically, so the, they have, they have, um, I, I don't, this may be, this is going to be a stupid question. Most of my questions, Ken, are going to be on the stupid side. Ah, but, better, but do, when you get to these uh, runs that, you know, it's the same run every year, it's, it's very established. Do they have small models of them that you can kind of tech, like feel? Like if you held a, a, like a, a, a scale model of your a. Question, of, your of your a, question itself is not stupid. <laughs> because that would, that would be lovely. However, you're implying that people care about either the racers or the visually impaired racers. Well, and I couldn't. I can't think it'd be that difficult because, I mean, the, with the technology the way it is, you can take <laughs> images of a hill, you can make right. a scale model that you can just textually, you know, feel yeah. with your hands well, and get I might an have, idea. I may have misled you as well because it's not the same place. It's not the same hill. It's not the same course every year. It's always in different places. The, the courses actually get set differently in the morning than they do in the afternoon. Uh, there wouldn't be time for that because uh, there's, it's a highly variable uh, terrain. And, and okay. Versus. All right. So what we do, though, 
um, the shorter runs, you, you get the snow plow down through one or two times and being visually impaired, there's no difference. So those, these are the international rules. However, they're supposed to allow the visually impaired and blind skiers to go first. Um, but it doesn't always work out like that because, you know, snow conditions and stress and we got to get the show on the road. So, you know, if you're not at the top of the hill and they open the gate, the course, they just, they just let you go. Mm-hmm. So you get to go down two times. If you're lucky um, and you go through it fairly slowly, you talk about it. Um, if it's a downhill race, a super fast race, um, you get to go over it three or four or five times uh, over a couple of days um, because of the, and then you get to run certain sections of it to kind of work on the complicated sections of it. But um, being visually impaired and totally blind, there's there's separate rules, but it's it's exactly the same. Like they accommodate uh, the vision impairment with the guide, but all the rules uh, applied pretty much uh, the exact same as they would to any able-bodied sighted uh, skier. Well, as as they should, really. <laughs> There's no other way because you're on a mountain, yeah. and uh, this, except for having a second person in the race course. I'll tell you a thing that we did. Like when I was visually impaired, and uh, I, I contrast with There's so much to this. It's so convoluted, Randy. I, I think I'm kind of all over the board here. I apologize. It's all right. Hey, no worries. Don't worry. We're learning. When I was visually impaired, like seeing uh, you know the dark. Uh, snow panther jacket it gave me some contrast so i could follow that person but if they if something in behind them or in front of them i guess so as i wasn't coming down like i'm always watching that person if they went left and there happened to be a pole there and this happened to me a couple of times like i have to identify like that pole is not moving i didn't know it's pole. it's just something dark mm-hmm. and i'm going towards it but they went into my blind spot and all of a sudden now I'm going towards something that's getting closer at a, at a rapid speed. So there's a lot, of, I have to make a lot of very fast decisions with a lot of li- very little information. Right. Um, so then, then you get, you know, okay, you got your dark, uh, you know, you, you got dark snowsuit and you're following your, your ski guide and then you go into the shadows. And when you're going into shadows, you're out in a, a, a gloomy area. Everybody talks about flat light. <laughs> Um, there's no texture when you're visually impaired at all. Like it just, it does look like a flat landscape. Um, and so uh, the, the sounds that I hear help a little bit. Some of the sights I can see visually impaired ski racers, the, the, their guides will do exaggerated motions. So if they want you to crouch down, they'll get really, really small. Mm-hmm. And then when they come to the top of a ridge and they want to expand, they'll stand up and spread their arms out to get really big to exaggerate for a visually impaired ski. Well, well, and the, I imagine the, the degree and the nature of a visual impairment play a role in what the skier would require. See, now your questions are getting a lot more intelligent. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. And in the contrast, so I found skiing down like in a, in a bright day, my eyes didn't work quite right. So the, the flat light was actually better for me because then I have just the snow and the contrast of my skier. Um, but then all of a sudden you go into a shadow area where there's a lot of trees and you come up from an open area. It feels like skiing into a wall. It takes every degree of confidence and guts you can muster to keep going forward. So eventually I got my guy just to yell out like shade. And then I give me an idea that, okay, this is, this is not a wall. Cause the feeling that you're going to hit a wall is mm-hmm. real. Well, they and, also, the thing is, I mean, the rules are the same, but the law, like rules are rules are rules and laws are laws. And whatever the skiing rules may be, the law of gravity is law going to, in fact, and the law and the law of, uh, of sound and how fast sound can travel. Cause for a person to yell, say they were to yell turn it takes a link it takes an amount of time for that to reach you while you're in motion 
That's right. And then I have to say, okay, what did I hear them say? What did they mean? And how do I interpret that into a motor response? Into my yes. Seat? And you've got a fraction of a second in which to do this, at which point you've already traveled 30 feet. That's right. So um, I appreciate though, like when you're, when you're a ski racer, you spend a lot more time skiing than you do in racing. Again, the racing was the safest thing I did. Like the skiing, you got to get there. You got to do all the training in Ontario, especially like they don't shut down a run for a race course. So okay. when, when you're ski racing, like right. most of your, your time on skis is just, you know, especially as a disabled skier and a blind skier, I spent a lot of time just skiing all over Ontario, but I would get into the gates periodically and then and I would only race two or three times a year. Right. um a formal race so the rest of the time it's informal training right gotcha okay so that makes sense that makes sense when you're in ontario there's not a lot of room so on a regular ski run where they're open to the public the, the race program would be working on one side of a hill so not down the middle and they certainly wouldn't have catch fences out because that that's not practical for timing and logistics and such right mm-hmm. so for the most part, we just had a set of sticks going straight down the hill and you go left, right, left, and right, and you work around. So one side, one turn is usually close to the edge of the hill. So it's, it's even more dangerous. Like I said, the racing, when you had the international rules in place, that was the safest thing I did. Mm-hmm. But the, the practicing and the learning, that was, uh, that was very unpredictable. Um, all weather, all the time. Um, so trying to make kinds, trying to, you know, always, always trying to learn things, but it also brings up, uh, deficiencies and and room for improvements uh, for things. Well, that, that's true of anyone learning anything. That is. Yes, this is full contact. Yeah. So back to the very first weekend I went ski racing um, at Beaver Valley. Like that weekend, I cartwheeled off into the uh, the trees multiple times. I got burrs in my pocket. I got hit by a, a chairlift as I got off of it because yeah. it's, a, it's a six-person chairlift and I only went far enough out for a four-person chairlift. And I got hit like it felt like I got hit by a locomotive. I was going to say I, when you say you get hit by a chairlift, I'm just picturing you catching more air than you thought you might. No, I came off the top, and then <laughs> I just kind of stood there, and it hit me right across the chest. And it's oh, not wow. stopping; like it, it felt no, like a locomotive. And <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> very yeah. I went through brushes, and and uh, you know, I ended up with my my, my skis up against uh, the the trunk of trees. Like I cannot impress upon people how dangerous it was learning <laughs> well it sounds like you came close to death more than once and then or at the, least uh, close to serious injury absolutely oh very much so uh, i'd be happy to tell you about some of those if uh <laughs> hey I, we got the time we got the time <laughs> okay so my uh so five years progressively less and less vision like so back to the contrast like the dark the dark and then you know the shadow I, I eventually had uh, the guide was wearing like black pants and, and a yellow jacket type of thing. So I could see them in the shadow, different conditions of different days. Right. But the last time I skied with any, um, any sight, my guide would be at the top of the hill. So, okay, are you ready? I'm like, yes. Yeah. So I got them in my visual field and like, go, go, go. And, and then they, they'd move and, and I couldn't see them at all. So I had to make the very difficult decision to either quit or to learn how to do it fully blind. And quite honestly, uh, I was more afraid of quitting and, and, you know, not facing my life's greatest fears of going blind than I was of, of continuing. Not to say that I wasn't scared. I was terrified. I had, sc- I had skied totally blind uh, several times. Yeah. Um, the first time my son was about 10. So I was only skiing about two or three years. And a guy gave me a pair of, sorry, coach gave me a, a pair of goggles that had some cardboard in it. And he was, okay, we'll go through this course. And my son was, you know, they just say, turn, turn. And I'm like, well, where? Because there's no more, I need a voice rope. 
Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. Like I, I defined a very good uh, program or a very good guiding system, but it took it took every minute or ten years to get it. So they turn and turn, and eventually the coach is like, well, you know, take those goggles off. Like you're not skiing with any confidence. But I don't know how anybody could like completely blacked out. So I come to realize though that 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 cardboard he put inside the goggles came from a, like a chicken finger box. And literally they had to wear chicken right across the front of my goggles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because you talk about the fear of having to decide whether you're going to give up skiing or commit to skiing completely blind. Because I'm, I'm just as a person, you know, with my eyesight's not great, but I have it and I'm glad I have it. Right, right. So when I think about uh, being able to see some things and not others, uh, a part of me would think it might, it sounds at least that it could be simpler if not easier to go completely blind as opposed to just catching bits and pieces that could confuse you and throw you off and, and distract. At the same time, we're talking about different kinds of fear. There's the fear of, of serious injury. And then there's the fear of, well, if I don't do it, I'm missing out. And there's the, the fear yeah, of missing, the fear out, of missing out syndrome. I've got a ton of that. Yeah. Vision impaired, totally blind or whatever. I always got that. Yeah. But did you, yeah. did you find though that, that by, by committing to going totally blind, you're at least, if nothing else, you're taking out one of the yeah. stressful variables. You're absolutely right. And there's a lot of life lessons I learned in here because, um, because I couldn't see straight ahead when, when something went past me on the side, you're right. It kind of distracted me and maybe turned my head reposition my weight which is not good when you're moving on skis either mm -hmm. but then i realized like what's gone past you what's in your past can no longer hurt you right. so you have to focus ahead you have to focus forward and you are right there's there's a, a there is a component of putting on black belt goggles where there was a sense of comfort and also then i'm no longer responsible for my own visual um direction the guide now takes full responsibility for that my focus is now focused on just the the hearing and doing, hearing and doing. Exactly. So there is a level of comfort in it. And you'd be surprised. You can actually get a little bit of, you know, not light, but you'll see gray through gray duct tape and black. It is, it is a little bit comforting. I hate mm -hmm. to say it is comforting. No, no, I know. No, listen, it's, it, 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 it makes perfect sense that it would be comforting because you take, uh, it's the kind of the Jesus take the wheel moment where you have a yeah. faith oh, in something absolutely. else. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you talk about faith. I put a hundred percent faith into my guides, and some of them weren't fully deserving. Um, because <laughs> I, went around, I was looking because I didn't always have guides, and I needed to, you know, stay on skis and stay training and learning. So I went to different places. And I'm not saying that people didn't do a good job. It's just there are some people that I know that their left and rights were not accurate. And now when you're looking up the hill, it seems like the anatomical left and rights are backwards. Mm -hmm. um, so it gets complicated. You have to trust that hundred percent. So like my son. In his life, he's 33 now, but in his life, as far as I have calculated, and I do keep track of these things, he's only been wrong with left and right once. We were putting wow. skis on, and he's like, you're left. And I'm like, that's not my left. He goes, oh, your other one. And they they always toss it off, like, ah, it's no big deal. But to me, it's a huge deal. So if my son says go right, without question, I go right. But there's been other people that say left, and I I literally point, like, is this, and I'm hoping they're looking at me, is that direction you want me to go? I need a well, confirmation. Is, is it fair to assume that your son uh, was learning to ski, like, what you, because you began yeah. skiing before your son came along? No, no, I was 19 when he came along. So. Okay, so so he's with you. So basically, he watched you go through this progress process, and it's interesting because for you to go through this process while you're losing your sight, it's not as if you started blind or you That's right. or you ended blind. You you started going. You you your skiing improved. I'm assuming oh, yeah. while oh, yeah. your vision is oh, deteriorating. Yeah, 
immensely absolutely so my son was born when i was 19 so i was already i was legally blind at, at nine right so yeah. progressively getting worse and worse and and I told him when he was two, like, you know, if we're going to do things together, just the two of us, like he has to guide me, he has to grow right. up. So, so this has been a part of his life. So guiding, it, it comes exactly. second nature to him right now. That's right. So like he would ride my shoulders when he was two and steer my head, like Freddie Flint <laughs> on the dinosaur. <laughs> very, <laughs> but, very ratatouille. Yeah. So when I, when I tell you, like when I, my first time skiing was totally blind, it made sense that I was doing it with my son when he was yeah. like 10 years old. Like I trust him more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he actually guided me for the entire season when he was 18 and people like, wow, Charles, you're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're guiding him. He's like, yeah, I'm doing the job (laughs) (laughs) for him. And he was great for me because I mean, I owned him. So if I hit him, you know, I could always reproduce another one, but he (laughs) what I wanted. He's like, why? I'm like, just do it. Cause there's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression. When you, when you, when you're facing something you desperately want, especially like you want to be a Paralympian, you want to be you know, a great comedian, or you want to be a best therapist or whatever. Like when you really reach for something, like you take it personally, and if it doesn't matter, then I guess it doesn't matter. So I don't mind that. Um, well, and don't forget also that, that he is going through, he's yeah. growing up. So he's, yeah. when you talk about uh, stress and frustration, that's what, that's what being a teenager is. So he's going through yeah. this in his own way got to drag me around yeah but one of, the, one of the things that kept me in skiing when i was you know facing a decision to do it totally blind was my son liked it and he was traveling and, and it was something for us to do that's magical that's amazing it really was especially the year when he was uh, my guide and we got to, he was driving by then he drove us to the hills in his hotel it was real good bonding time so it was, i'm really glad i stuck around long enough for those for those minutes those times right mm-hmm. um but anytime i i i, I was skiing with anybody doesn't matter if my life uh, issues, as soon as those skis started moving, I had to focus 100% on what's happening now, staying yes. in the moment. And people look for this through meditation or whatever, but if you can do like a high speed, high risk uh, activity, um, you'll find that in the moment. I know like I, I was doing massage therapy for a disabled, disabled military veteran ski week. And there was a guy there, he was a, a JTF commando with a significant PTSD, but he races Ducati motorcycles at 300, 350 kilometers an hour, whatever they do, because he needs that, that clarity because he's not going to get the same battle uh, stress that he was getting. So now he's looking for that. And I found the exact same thing when I was skiing. Like it, it clears your mind when you have nothing to focus on, but now. Well, it now. forces you to focus. There's an old expression. I think I think it was Nixon used to say, uh, "When you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow." <laughs> so I, if you if you, you if, say that, but yeah, yeah, you basically you, you if you're if you're compelled to focus on the immediate, your brain right. will work faster, sharper, Absolutely. and and the idea that you're going to worry about whether you left dishes in the dishwasher, yeah kind of evaporates gone absolutely no time for that and uh so when i first started skiing totally blind it was a practice here on a wednesday but now i'm committed i had no choice it was that or quit um i was at chicopee again and we're on the the steeper hill it's not that high but it's one set of gates only on one side and my coach is like how do you want to do this and he kept me in dave hackett he he runs kitchener kicks now but he kept me in by by being my guide when i had no other guy because ted moved to australia so and, and sorry, it's really hard to develop and, and maintain that guide relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so like, I'll bet, I'll bet, because they, and they, they, I'm sure the guides. Do, no, I actually, I shouldn't say I'm sure because I don't know. The them. guides, the guides have. Um, do they work for a particular company or and yeah. do they work for several Each clients? Volunteer, like there's no money in it. 
There's, there's no, there might be a little bit of credit, but uh, it's all a volunteer, hundred percent. Yeah. And okay. uh, I, like, I pay for some of the, you know, the experience and such. I, I didn't really pay for a lot of the alcohol and stuff, but I paid. <laughs> afterward, I hope. I hope you're talking about after in the lodge afterward. Of course, of course. Oh my gosh! At the end of a day of ski race, especially racing at the end of the week, like I really felt like I, I cheated death. And that was my favorite part of it is the after ski social. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, cause I, I survived that and I did something that sighted people did and I did it better than a lot of sighted people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, the compliments I got on the ski hill, like it, it, it really does help. Um, but it doesn't change the, how the, you know, the stress and anxiety. So the first time was a coach said, how do you want to do this? Like, do you want to be guided from behind or do you want to be guided from the front? And I'm like, well, it makes more sense to have the guide behind you. Cause then the guide can see everything. But now I have to think back because, you know, any instruction I get is from behind me. I'm no longer thinking forward. I have to think back. I have to lean forward and, and ski forward. But my instruction is coming from behind. It proved just not to work. Now, it can work with headsets. But in a headset, when somebody tells you to turn left or turn right or they say here, there's no sense of direction. Like right now, I'm looking at a speaker that your voice is coming out of. I'm not even looking at you. Probably notice this. I'm not even looking at you. Like that's the that's the computer camera. Well, your computer. I, I hate to tell you, Ken. Your computer hasn't. Your camera hasn't been on this whole time. I just oh, okay. it doesn't I'm matter. Sorry, they, that's okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sensitive to your vision impairment range. <laughs> <laughs> You should be, you should be. Anyway, so carry on, carry on, sorry. So he, uh, he's like, okay, go. And I'm like, what do you mean go? Like, shouldn't we talk about this? Aren't we going to have a plan? You know, like, aren't we going to time this out? And he goes, just go, listen, you'll be fine. So you go and you turn and you try to do your best, but inevitably I, I, I took Gates in the crotch. So, and I tumbled off into the, the, the bushes and we were there maybe two hours and I, I took a lot of fumbles, but you know, it was, I got through the course a couple of times, totally blind. So the next weekend was our, our first uh, provincial race. And we often raced with the uh, disabled racing team out of Quebec. Mm-hmm. So we had one, one weekend in, in Ontario, one week in Quebec, and then one week in uh, out west doing the national races. That was kind of our race schedule. Mm-hmm. And then we would forerun any races that uh, other race programs would have us in for, and then just do race training with other race When programs. you say forerun, is, is that a skiing term? Does that mean you go ahead yeah, of them? Or that you, means go- you show up to somebody else's race. Yeah. And when they set the race course, like they, they, they do their inspections too. Now they're at the top, they're, uh, they're, they're ready to go. But uh, in racing, generally, they would send down one or two people just to see like, what's the quality of the, the course? Is so, it safe? So, yeah. So a four run is just F O R E is what you mean. I guess. Like I'm not, I'm not, yes, like, yes, not four. Oh, you are right. Yeah. Right. Okay, gotcha. You're spelling American or Canadian, I guess. <laughs> <Something like> that, <laughs> yeah. So they would they would send down uh, two forerunners just to get an idea: is this race course safe? But in in the racing world, like you'll throw in inexperienced racers or people that want to get hot laps and people that want to you know get experience. And you know, in our case, they they let us go down the course just to use the course, just mm-hmm. use the time when it's all set up and all that. That's great. That's a great thing. Valuable experience. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, we went to, we were doing practice on the Friday afternoon and I hadn't told anybody I was going to ski race totally blind. And uh, so we had my goggles up so I could see to get around a little bit. And then we were in the gates and the coach came ready to go, you know, and goggles down. And there was a quadriplegic friend of mine, Andy from Kingston. And he looks up, he goes, you crazy mother. He goes, you got those goggles blacked out. <laughs> so that was, and training was actually pretty good. I, I got through those race courses and I was pretty optimistic. The next day was the day of the race and you get race day jitters. 
and I overheard another uh, visually impaired uh, a guy talking to a visually impaired steer. Be careful of turn number three. You got to be hard on it. Blah blah blah. Right? And I'm like, if it's valid for him, it's valid for me. Right? So I'm right. kind of listening, and uh, the, the information just goes in. And my guide. And it was very early on, so we didn't really have a lot of good systems in place. Like that coach particularly, uh, he, he's really good at what he does. He leads by inspiration. You know, he commands respect. He doesn't demand it. But uh, as far as a guide, he was terrifying because he'd always just like, here, 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 here. And that's good. But that's that's kind of like words that, per minute. That, I, yeah, that's fine if you're a border collie. I don't know how, pers- <laughs> you know. It, well, they treated me like a dog. But uh, what I really needed was sound over distance, right? right? So, and the words needed to be more descriptive. So we went down, he's here, here, here. And on that third turn, I hammered hard left because the other guy said, I better do that. And then when I heard the next call down, I was on an edge and I just couldn't, I couldn't read. I couldn't change my direction. I went right off the side of the hill and I hit a bunch of trees and I, I broke my chin guard and put my, my teeth kind of halfway through my lip. Oh. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of banging around and then all of a sudden it's settled and you're like, wow, what was that? So no doubt I've experienced concussions and, and, and uh, whiplash and stuff like that. Now I was actually appreciative to, to break that chin guard because it was the first week I had a chin guard. Um, my, my friend, Jeff, the paraplegic Paralympian, he gave me the chin guard. I put it on just as a precaution. Mm-hmm. So funny enough, um, they, they, of course they take me to the ski patrol hut and they do all the paperwork cause they do that in Ontario and you know, the visibility was lovely, you know, conditions, sunny. They yeah, never it's, had- like, it's, it's like, it's like, it's a sling and cast second insurance paperwork first. Oh, absolutely. But they never had a checkbox on that document for blind skier. So visibility right. is perfect, right? <laughs> <laughs> So that, and then I, I skied the next day because it's a short season and highly dedicated. And I, I was, I threw myself a hundred percent in this heart, soul, yeah. like all year I was kind of thinking about skiing and racing and training in the gym and whatever. It's all ski racing all the time. Um, so the next week we were down in, uh, just outside of Ottawa in Quebec. And my, my coach guide was a truck driver. So he was meeting us there in the morning and the other visually impaired guide offered to take me for a run. I'm like, you know, time on skis, valuable experience. So we went and we had the megaphone by this time. So different, similar guiding systems, different, but it had nothing to do with that. Um, just a you know, perfect storm of situations. We were going really fast. It was really icy. It was very windy. And I simply missed a turn call. Uh, people in the, uh, the chairlift, they said they heard a turn, but I, I didn't react. And I just skied straight into a snow gun. And the snow guns, uh, whether there was padding there or not, they have a three or four inch uh, steel cage around the, the, the gun. And in my impression, that that cage is to protect the machine. It is not to protect the guy. <laughs> well, I, I would I would I would suspect you're right on that. Yeah. So uh, and of course if the ski if the snow gun was on, I would have heard it and I wouldn't have gone anywhere near. But they were distracting too because you're skiing and you got wind and you got you got the megaphone that's getting the, the sound is getting drifted off with the wind, snow underneath my guide, snow under me, and then a snow gun, which is just and the closer you get, the louder it gets. Mm-hmm. And, and and of course, because I've hit several, um, I'm always <laughs> so anyways, in this case, I, I hit slightly off center, um, with my left side of my head and I broke this, the, the, I broke my helmet just back by my temple and I've got a scar going kind of from my left corner of my lip up to the, where the helmet would match that. Oh, wow. Um, and that was a, that was a decisive moment. Like I, I started kind of backed out, wiggling my toes as soon as I, you know, see if I could, I stood up slowly and I was kind of bleeding too. That was the least of my concern. Of course, it was the head neck. 
And so funny enough there, of course, I went to the ski patrol hut and they told me I was in Quebec. So if I wanted to uh, go to a hospital, it'd be better off to drive 45 minutes back into Ottawa. And uh, there was absolutely no paperwork, no insurance paperwork, never happened. <laughs> oh, all right. So a couple hours later, you know, you got to decide if you're going to keep doing this or if you're going to quit. I, I, I had two significant injuries within, uh, I mean, I still standing, but it was more of my, my heart and soul that was crushed. Mm-hmm. And I remember the next time I went up the chairlift, like, why am I doing this? I literally felt like I was a lamb going to slaughter. And the next time was how many, like how long after? After lunch. Oh, so the next time so, later that day. Yeah. Two and a half hours. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I, I went back up and I'm like, I, I got to figure out how to do this. If it can be done, I can do it. Now, in my life, now I haven't been around much for the past uh, 10 years or so, but in my career, I only heard of a handful, like literally four or five people in the world ski racing totally blind. Mm-hmm. Now, skiing is different and, and that's, that's, uh, that's challenging itself. There's lots of visually impaired, lots of totally blind skiers. Um, that can get out and recreation, enjoy themselves. Um, but trying to do the racing, I've only heard of four or five mm-hmm. and I wanted to get there and I never got to the international level. I certainly got to the national level and I was the only one in North America that I'm aware of for real, uh, mm-hmm. since 1992 until 2010. So I'm hoping at least what I did was potentially develop a bridge between it had been done before and this guy did it. Um, not to the international level, but it can be done again and hopefully inspire somebody else. But um, I certainly wish that person all the best. Uh, I hope somebody does take up the challenge to do it, but it's, it's incredibly dangerous. I've got a good system, though, because the system we developed um, took a long time um, through a lot of trials and errors. But now it's it's very specific uh, terminology and such. So. I do want to kind of cover the, the system that we developed because it got really good. Um, when you're going down a steeper hill, your turn now means 10 o'clock or two o'clock. And because I can only hear sometimes because the wind and such like that, sometimes I just hear a syllable. So I just hear tuh, tuh, or I'll hear and tuh, and tuh. So turn eventually meant like you come down, your tips are going to arc around to either 10 o'clock or two o'clock. 10 to turn all sound the same. Right. And it's like walking left, right, left, right. So if I hear a T, I know I'm on to the next thing because nothing else can sound like that. Not in its syllable, not in its entirety. Early on, we would use words like uh, little drop. And then I, I'd slam into my guide and he said, why, why'd you hit me? And I'm like, well, you said little drops. No, I said, stop. And I'm like, well, I thought you said drop. So the next time I'd stop, he goes, well, I said little drop. I'm okay. So drop, stop. That's got to go. And I, I started using the word stop, stop. I wanted two syllables just in case I didn't hear the first one. And, uh, you know, it turned to a stop stop was nice, but now you got to qualify that turn because is it going to be like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock is how hard it could be turned hard if you need harder. Right. So you, you put on some of these other words, the other directional change is going to be like 11 o'clock or one o'clock. So you're not on steeper Hills. You need to go a little bit faster. Let them run. 11 and one, all that sounds the same. So let them run 11 and one. And really what you're doing inside your, your, your boots is just rolling your ankles and and just rolling your ankles and knees to 11 o'clock or one o'clock. So we started using the word roll. Yeah. It's the the same logic behind the, uh, the military, you know, short forms for letters, you know, alpha, beta, Charlie, whatever. And those, those were kind of like emergency communication was kind of like my, my base point. It has to be like that because 
with a lot of noise in the background, a lot of anxiety. Things have to be very clear and concise and have very specific meaning. And it has it becomes more predictable when they say and turn. And I want those two words linked because for several reasons. I want, like I said earlier, it's it's sound over distance. It's not words per minute. It doesn't matter how many times you hear, 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 hear. It tells me nothing. And turn. They mm-hmm. might have gone, you know, you know, 10 meters while they say and turn. And they're dragging me along that 10 meter line. Well, it's all about communication. It's all about because the terms you use are meaningless if they can't be understood by the person you're trying to communicate with. Well, that's another good point. Ted and I, first time out west, we go flying uh, along a, a beautiful, wide open green run. And all of a sudden, I hear the word air. We had never talked about the word air. And I'm like, what does air mean? And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I got kicked. I'm in, oh, oh air. This is yeah. what he meant. Well, I was going to say, once once something becomes universally accepted as the way it's done, it's easier to teach that because you can't teach well, a that's, method. That's my if, if everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel, you know, right. once you've got the, and I'm sure you've documented this and you've got it. I have honestly ready. Like nobody seems to care about my perspective because I was in the helmet. Right. Yeah. So there is the track three. They've got their very safe uh, program for recreational skiing for visually impaired and fully blind where it's safe. And they, they'll even tie themselves and tether and, and they'll ski behind the person to make sure they're very safe, but that's not independent skiing. Mm-hmm. Then you do the, the Canadian association of disabled skiers. They, they guide as well. And they'll use the same kind of safety measures. Again, it's all about safety. It's all about fun. Mm-hmm. And when you get into other, you know, independent recreational skiing, that's it's a little bit da- more dangerous. But if you go into racing, that, that that's your it's on you, right? Mm-hmm. So at that level, you've got a lot of coaches and a lot of people do think that they've got a better idea of how it's done. And unfortunately, I don't think there is a standard system. I think I think the industry would benefit from a standard system, including the visually impaired skiers. I don't know what they're doing now, but I do know that words can be both directional and informational at the same time. And they have to perform because there's not much time. Mm-hmm. So they have to perform more than one function. Now, yeah. the megaphone gave me a direction. See, now I'm looking at the computer because I know where your voice is coming from. Mm-hmm. In a headset, it's stereo sound. So if somebody says, come over here, I have no idea where, they're, where, they're, where they are. Right. So for being totally blind, like I need a directional sound. <clears throat> That's mandatory. But that sound, if it's at chest height, I'm going down a very gentle slope. If it's at my knees or at my feet, I better hang on because that's way down there. And I can tell that that person's like 15, 20 feet in front of me. This is the, this is uh, drawing the, the steepness of the slope. Mm-hmm. And then <clears throat> when that sound goes from my feet <clears throat> up to my hips and then to my chest, I've known that they've come off that hill and I, and they can be telling me to turn but I know that the terrain I can now I can sense or see really because I watch that sound. I'm watching that megaphone in my dark my black belt goggles, right? Mm-hmm. So the terminology that we developed, and I, I really got to give credit to Vicky Larouche. She was uh, she was my guide the after uh, the first tragic year, and she even said like what I was doing was suicidal. Um, the here, here, here and stuff like there was no information in that. So we spent half a season trying to come up with some terminology. We had our own incidences. I ran into the back of her. She had an anterior cruciate ligament uh, reconstructive surgery a year and a half before I skied with her and it, it damaged it again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's dangerous for the guy too, but she was afraid I'd go into a tree. So she got herself in between me and her and it sets up for a lot of 
uh, heated discussion between guide and, and racer because in racing I'm on my own. Like, give me the words, inspiration, the instructions. I do my best to to follow them to the best of my ability. I don't expect anybody to jump in my way because I need a guide, and I, I risk losing my guide because I hit her. And every time I've hit stuff, um, you know, thankfully so far I've been able to you know crawl out. And then two weeks later, uh, training, I did something stupid. Um, and I decided I was going to run because I had some site. So like, do I use site that I can't see, I can't trust, or do I use my goggles? Because now, like you said, there's a level of comfort and I'll have better mechanics because now my head can go straight down the hill. I can turn my hill, my skis from side to side. I'll have better mechanics. We were at Caledon and it was about 60 feet wide, 130, 50 feet down. I know the hill very well. I've been there many, many times. So I decided I'm going to ski by myself. And and honestly, uh, you know, she could have said, you know, don't, but there's no reason for her not to. It's not her fault at all. You're, you're a grown man. You can make your decisions. Exactly. And so, and, you know, I, I get frustrated. I'm always having to, to do everything that people tell me to do. So I just want to ski one run by myself. It was right before lunch. And we were doing extra training because the, the race we did in the morning wasn't as good as we were open for. So cleaning my head out. And uh, we'd, we'd done about four or five extra runs while everybody else went in because that's what you do when you want to be a champion, right? So I, I stood at the top of this hill and I remember thinking, like, do I go with sight I can't trust or do I put my goggles down with blacked out? And I put the goggles down and I looked over the edge and I even literally shook my head. Yes, this is better <laughs> now that I can't see anything. So I started out left, right, left, right. And I was having a, I was turning really well. I was making my arcs beautifully because now I'm in control of where I turn. Now it's suicidal because I don't know where I'm going. I heard her yell left. So then I, I, no, so I heard her yell over. I got to correct that. I heard her yell over when I was in a left-hand turn. And that's a command that we use when I'm turning any particular direction. They'll keep me in that turn by saying over, over, over. The word and has a very specific purpose because that tells me that that direction is changing to another direction. So now I have to unload my downhill ski and I have to think whether I'm reaching out with my pole or I'm starting to manipulate my weight to change direction. So people can't just use the word and uh, non-discriminatory as well, right? So I heard over when I was in a left-hand turn. So I went a little bit more to the left and I went to the right and I was back into a left-hand turn when I heard her screaming, over! And so I figured, okay, she wants me to go further left. So I did more of a left-hand turn. And then I went back to the right. And I went back to the left. I heard her yelling, bloody murder. Over! But what I missed all three times was the words, to the right. Now, that's not her fault. Because she was a new guide. It was a good system. But I, you know, had she just said, right, 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 I would have. That, that's all I heard. Because well, and she wasn't acting as a guide at the time. You were on your own. That's she right. Was just, yeah, she was yeah, a, absolutely. a concerned I mean, she was just bystander. Trying to help out, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, it's not her. It was totally my fault all through and through. But at this point, I committed into a left-hand turn, and the ground disappeared. And it's surprising because I've done this several times. And some of them were, you know, a couple hundred-foot cliffs and such like that, too. And the ground disappears. It's like all you can think of is feet first. Like I've done this before. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of crash, boom. My skis got violently ripped off my feet. It felt like a hand grenade in each boot. I came tumbling down. I don't know when I started, but I landed on my knees going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. I, I got whacked in my tailbone. Mm. By this time, I had been wearing um, like uh, uh, um, like mountain bike shorts. So I had the protector, or the tailbone protector and the hip pad protector. And I ended up with a major welt across my low back and left hip. So I was I was very appreciative of all the equipment. I also used wrist guards. Um, I said the chin guard knee pads. Um 
So she came flying over the edge and she was crying. She's like, oh my God, are you okay? And it was a very steep ridge to get back up. And she tried putting her hand on my tailbone to help me up. And I'm like, you know, don't touch me there. Cause I, I thought maybe my tailbone was broken. And I got up and, and ski patrol had been doing a, um, they had been doing an, an exercise in that tree line just a, a minute earlier. So in the chairlift, they're yelling down, like, are you okay? And I was laying out there flat on the snow face down. And I said, I think so. Again, I'm going through, you know, you know, moving my toes and turning on muscles just to see what I can yeah, do. And, well, and you're in, and you're in a bit of shock as well. Yeah, but shock, but clear shock because as a massage yeah. therapist, I've been trained in, you know, CPR, first aid and stuff. <clears throat> I wasn't panic shock. No, but that, but that's what you don't, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're yeah, so in I'm, the middle I'm of assessing myself. your situation. Yeah, so, yeah, assessing myself. Like, because yeah, absolutely. Because people do incredible things when they're, when they're hurt and they shouldn't because the adrenaline and, and all kinds of endorphins that uh, we have endorphins that are 200 times stronger than morphine inside us once they're activated. So the patrol came down and helped me. I skied off of there and, and I sprained every uh, ligament in, in both my feet. And, uh, but like, there's not a lot of time in this. We had a race the next day. So I Epsom salt, you know, and iced all night and, uh, you know, went to our little celebration and collected my third place medal for the race we had that day. And the next day I did athletic taping and stuffed my very painful feet inside my boots and uh, ski patrol were, were there to watch me do another run. And, uh, you know, they're very supportive. Everybody's very supportive. And, and uh, that's what I loved about disabled ski racing. Like everybody's helping each other. We mm -hmm. all have different abilities. There was paraplegic amputees, even a quadriplegic, highly functioning quadriplegic uh, was part of this program. Mm -hmm. um, and, and independently. So like you have to be independent um, for your own gear and your own crew uh, to be able to participate. Like it's not, it's not highly supported. It's supported, but in a very independent way. So that race, you know, that afternoon or that morning, I, I tumbled over more gates and I resprained things and I kept going. Like, I think we took one weekend off that whole season because it, it's such, it's, you know, you get two, three months of skiing in Ontario this year, even worse. Mm. Um, you know, there's really no skiing going on. And, and if anybody's trying to race for international competition, they obviously have had to go either to Quebec or, or even Swiss Alps have been closed down this year. Well, you had, yeah, I mean, and you, yeah, you have to go where the snow is. Chile, I mean, Argentina, like lots of these, they travel around the world. I didn't get to that level, mm -hmm. but I mean, one year, you know, being in Ontario, just to give you an idea that year, the year that I wrecked my ankles, I got 53 days on skis. So that's, that's a lot of time on skis in a very short season. Well, I, I wish you well, Ken, and, I, and it is a shame that you don't ski anymore. I, I have never been a skier, so for what it's worth, you've already done more skiing. Well, we in can your go together, time. Randy. Uh, no, thank you. I can guide you. <laughs> I, I, I greatly that would truly be the blind leading the blind as far as as far as downhill skiing. So, what would you now? Here, here's what I want to just end with before I let you go. So, thanks again for for taking a few minutes to to chat with us today about skiing, and I want to. Find out because as as you say, you're no longer skiing. You this was a period of your life that you very much enjoyed, but but you've outgrown and you're I got away really, lucky and I, you got away lucky and you move on to other things. So what would you suggest to someone? And I I don't mean this to specifically be about those with um with particular physical issues over which they have to de you know things they have to overcome. How would you what would you say to someone who is looking to get into skiing that has never skied before and maybe uh, have been hesitant, have been worried about it. Where would the, where would you suggest they start? I suggest anybody who wants to learn how to ski. First, you learn to stop. The better you can <laughs> stop, the better you can ski. Um, right. And and you know what? You got it. You got to have fun with it. It's a it's a wonderfully it's a great kinesthetic activity. It's wonderful for the body as you fall down the hill. It's 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 really effortless. 
um, until you get to high G-force levels. But even that's beautiful. It's all about the arcs and such like that. It's a wonderful sport. But you can't be laughing and you can't you can't lose conscious of the now because the, the the risks and the injuries are real as long as you stay focused on the moment and you can stop at any time as long as you ski in control you're going to be okay mm-hmm. and, and uh, it is the, and, the people well i was gonna say it's the kind of thing that like driving we take driving for granted when you get behind the wheel of a right. car you're always perfectly right. capable of running down 15 children yes. without you know, you're still in control it's, of life and limb <laughs> And it's very must. much the same. And you got to be conscious. You got to take that with respect before you go. You got to think about, you know, the things necessary involved in the activity. And then, you know, like if you go from one, you know, city streets is one thing, stepping up onto the 401 is another level of risk. And, and you got to be a lot more conscious and aware and not take other people, uh, you know, unnecessarily risks on, on behalf of other people as well. Mm-hmm. So skiing is the exact same thing. Start small, start easy, have some fun with it. And I really appreciated the uh, disabled ski racing, but the people that were involved, because as a massage therapist, I got a world of exposure to amputees, paraplegic, you know, like all kinds of adaptive equipment, um, you know, a lot of adaptive, uh, you know, attitudes. And I mean, I, I would, my life would have been very different if I didn't have ski racing in my life. And it really was where I faced my life's greatest fear of going blind. And it was on a ski hill. I don't know if I could have done it any other way because it was, uh, it, it's been part of my identity. Um, I tell everybody, you know, yes, I'm blind, but hey, I was a blind ski racer too. Because being blind is not so cool. I mean, it's got its moments and a lot of people do good at it. But being a blind ski racer, I think that that had an element of neatness to it. Well, and it also, I think it puts uh, a physical limitation in perspective in the sense that this this has been a limiting thing for you i mean to, yeah. obviously it's limited certain aspects of your yeah. life but it hasn't it hasn't derailed you all of these things that i did including the the martial arts the ski racing it was you know it's anatomy physiology it's also emotional psychological to deal with the anxiety depression even the comedy the talking about these stories talking about skiing talking about other things for me it's all about the same kind of thing in the public speaking and even doing this mm-hmm. it's, it's all part of my my positive lifestyle uh, choices and, and positive outlook and and um, you know, just trying to do the best I can do, support others and gain support for myself while I Absolutely. do it. And, and, you know, I think because stuff happens. stuff ha- It's not what happens yeah. to you. It's how you deal with what happens Absolutely. to you. And, and some yeah. challenges are greater than others. So for a person to be able to learn how to race at speed down a mountain without being able to see the mountain – yeah. That's you know you you you've or already the sticks are going around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, either way, a lot of life lessons there. A lot of life lessons to be learned. That's, yeah, we're just all this. This show is. I think this show is turning into all about people and and the life lessons that they've acquired over their over their time on on the planet. So Ken, I thank you so you much doing this show, and I appreciate you letting me uh, come out here and, and share my story. And I look forward to hearing more uh, interviews that you're doing. I like doing. I, I like being part of anything that you're part of, Randy. You're a very Aww. interesting guy. And I think you're doing a lot of positive work in the community. Uh, when you're right, you're right. I would argue with you, Ken, <laughs> but you're, you're right. What can I say? I thank you so much for taking the time. And we'll, well, next time we'll have to talk, talk more about martial arts because I imagine – because you did that long before the skiing. Long before, and I'm still doing that. And you're still doing that. I'm glad I'm, you're uh, – I'm teaching disabled kids, and I'm teaching able-bodied kids at Kitchener Kicks, so I'm still regularly involved. Second-degree black belt at this point. And 
it, that's that's really prepared me for life con uh, for life, which is a full contact sport. Life is a full contact sport. Well, I tell you, what, you send me the details to all that stuff, and I'll happily pass it along to anyone that gets in touch with us looking for more information. Ken, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. you. Enjoy. Get. I know you got a meeting yep. right now, so you get on to that. Have a wonderful Sunday, and I'll send you a link to this show once it's up and ready to go. Awesome. Thank you so much, Randy, for your time. All the best. <laughs> you too. All right. Take care. Bye bye. And that will just about do it for this week's installment of Mondo Rando Radio and the best of what's out there on MidtownRadio.ca. My name's been Randolph J. Thank you for joining us. And my special thanks also to former Alpine ski racer Ken Roach, whose experience and opinions are unique and entirely his own. If you plan to do any skiing this winter, remember to ski responsibly. And if you have any questions at all, please contact us anytime. Mondo Rando Radio at gmail.com, and I'll happily pass you along to Ken. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye for now. 